Made Visible helps people with invisible illnesses feel seen and heard. It provides a platform for people who seem fine but aren't to share their experiences. It also helps to create a new awareness of how we can be sensitive and supportive to those with invisible illnesses. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro, and I'm so glad you tuned in today. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online counseling service that matches you with a licensed professional therapist. Today's guest is Jen Donahue. Jen is the mother of Aiden, who was born a micropremie and a twin. Aiden now has learning disabilities, and Jen serves as an amazing caregiver to her son. I'm excited to chat with Jen about navigating these challenges. Welcome, Jen. Thanks, Harper. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to have you here. I feel like we're not so far from each other, and yet we're in our own little small rooms recording here. Right, in today's social distanced world. Exactly. So let's start. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Sure. I grew up in Flushing, Queens, and now live in Manhattan. I've been in New York my whole life with a couple of stints outside the city, just when I started my career in Boston for a couple of years and went to college in Ohio. And that led me into a career in media, which I spent two decades or a little bit more in the audio radio world. And about 15 months ago, entered the world of streaming television. And I work at Hulu, where I lead local advertising sales. Amazing. So that is not what we're going to be talking about today. But let's dig right in about why we brought you on the show here. So your children, Aiden and Emma, were micro preemies, and they were born at 24 weeks. Can you talk a bit about their birth and how you and your husband handled the days after that situation? Sure. You know, we really never met a family who had premature children. And so all of it was very unexpected. Um, there was a major blackout across the eastern seaboard at the time, and it was the summer of 2003. So I worked in Times Square at the Viacom building, and I was on the 40th floor and had just actually returned from a routine exam as I was pregnant. And my doctor was encouraging me to stay home. And I said, I just have to go back to work for a couple of hours. And sure enough, as soon as I got off the elevator in the building, the lights went out. And so it was a major event in New York, and I had to walk down the stairs. And that led to symptoms that I didn't know I was in labor. And then suddenly within a couple of days was over at Lenox Hill Hospital. And they were trying to do everything they could to avoid me giving birth prematurely. Um, And so then our children came and they came, as you said, 24 weeks, which is four months early or four months too soon. And Emma weighed one pound, five ounces and Aiden weighed one pound, eight ounces and, you know, neither of us were prepared for what that looked like. And I remember the first time Chris came into the room and said that he had gotten to go to the NICU while I was, you know, unconscious. He'd keep you like asleep after you have a C-section um, to see our children. And I just said, oh, what do they look like? And you get all excited as a new mother would. And he carefully cautioned me, you know, they're small. And so when you walk into the NICU and then you see your children weighing just slightly over a pound and they're not even really formed your you just want to put them back in your stomach. That was like the one thing that I felt. And then you go on that journey and you realize you're not the only ones in the NICU. There's a lot of families going through the same thing. Wow, really powerful. And so Emma passed away after one week. Yeah. She was in the NICU that whole time. 
she was in the NICU and we felt like we kind of ignored Aiden. Now looking back, um, she was a real fighter and, you know, we keep our finger in the palm of her hand and she held on to us pretty tightly for the whole week. And it was an extraordinary experience. If I close my eyes, I could picture the whole thing and their isolettes were right across from each other. And so we had that week with her and then all of our attention, of course, turned to Aiden and we felt you know, she went to heaven and she was also looking over her brother. It's something that all the healthcare workers in the hospital kept telling us, the doctors and the nurses and the nurse practitioners, you know, she's looking over her brother. And we really just relied on faith to get us through that period. And how long was he in the NICU for? Aiden was there for 117 days. We gave birth in August. Uh, we were nearing the holidays and the staff really wanted to try to get him home for the holiday season for Christmas. And looking back, it was like, we probably shouldn't have pushed because a couple of days after he came home, he ended up back in the pediatric intensive care unit. But, you know, he came out slightly over five pounds and probably looked like a very small baby at the time, but yet he was four months old. Wow. And so what was that like coping with that loss of a child and obviously, you know, bringing home a newborn that had some health challenges? How did you deal with that? During the time in the NICU, we kept asking all the time. We asked one of the neonatologists constantly, but when do we not have to worry? And she finally looked at me and said, my child's 18 years old and I'm still worried. And mm -hmm. she said, so there's a difference as a parent, you're always worried. And after going through something like that, you know, which was unexpected to give birth prematurely, and then really not as expected that she would have a turn for the worse because we were told that girls do better. That was what they told us the first day mm -hmm. in the NICU. And so when they come in to tell us about her having a hemorrhage, you know, I actually said, you mean my son? And they said, no. So I, we always felt like a start and stop every day. Like he'd take steps forward and then he'd still take steps back and on a ventilator most of the time. And you just try to hope, you, but you write down every little word that anyone tells you during a chronic illness like that. And you're you're trying to grasp for something, but yet you don't know. It's like you want to get through the NICU experience, but you're not too sure what the future even holds for your child as they grow. So when he was released from the hospital, what was that like? And what were the challenges that you continued to have to deal with him even until now when he is a 16-year-old? When he came home, we were told, first of all, he came home in December that we needed to keep him inside probably straight through April they referenced an illness called RSV, which is a respiratory virus. And so it kind of rang a bell as we're sitting together, you know, social distanced, because during this time, it was like you and I could walk around and we'd seem like we have a cold, yet we might have the RSV virus and you could give it to a premature child and it can be nearly fatal. So we kept him home. Uh, we didn't have visitors. Uh, around that time, once he was healthier, he began to have therapists of all kinds come to the home every day for many years until he was of school age. So he had speech therapy and physical therapy and occupational therapy. For many months, he also had an apnea monitor at home. And he was hospitalized quite a few times after that, after he came home. But it was just, it became a routine. Like it just becomes, this is what you know. And I'm sure many of your guests on the show think about it that way. It's like, what used to be your normal isn't. And then you, you graduate and you go into the next phase of, okay, now all the children are going to school. Where does my child belong? And it's so interesting, the title of your podcast and your, your theme around it, because things are invisible for these children. You know, their sensory issues, their learning disabilities, and you're not too sure where your child falls, but all you hear is 
well, there are typically developing children, and then we're going to figure out what's best for your child. And so Mm -hmm. you always wonder, what does that mean? And so we tried to pull back to just say, you know, he's our child, and we never got caught up in recording milestones for him. And just, we were always amazed by anything he could do, because we were told what could be the worst. And so whenever he walked or crawled, we were excited about it. And through that time, he's now gone to the the right school for him. He's doing well. And, you know, he's kind of found himself and those talents emerged, which he's in a good place in school where they bring that out, I think, in in children. I mean, it's amazing to have a parent who looks at it that way. And is sort of like, yes, I recognize that there's differences here, but also my child deserves the same sort of treatment as quote unquote, regular kids and the importance Mm -hmm. of doing that. So have you ever had conversations with him at different ages of recognizing those differences and hearing from him how he navigates them? Sure. I I would say that's something which I think is a good thing where we kind of remind him sometimes because I think Aiden's grown up to feel like things are normal. It's not unusual for him to have any kind of challenge and he knows he has to work through it, um, but he doesn't see himself that way. But I think he values being in a special education environment that he's been able to lean on and learn to self-advocate so that going into the future for secondary school and through life, knowing what he has to do to make sure that he has things and the right support. That's huge and says a lot about who you are as parents. I have to say, I have to throw back to the story of last summer when you were over at my house. You know where I'm going with this. It's like my favorite story ever. So Jen is a friend of my dad's and her and her husband and Aiden were coming over to our house and we're sitting around and everything's great. It's this lovely summer day. (laughs) And all of a sudden Jen turns to me and says, I told him. (laughs) It still makes us laugh here too. Oh my God. I told him that Harry had a daughter. And he was expecting some like 15-year-old or maybe even 17-year-old, but instead he got a 35-year-old and was like, why am I here? (laughs) Well, first of all, we all had a great time that day because you have remarkable parents. So thank you for the compliment. But uh, Aiden actually came over and whispered to me, and he was not discreet as most teenage boys. (laughs) Mom, I don't think Harper is 15. She doesn't look 15. And so, you know, I was like, we're all going over to the Spiros. He's like, well, I don't want to go. And I said, oh, Harry's got a teenage daughter. You're going to love her. So uh, he had a great day that day because your dad also had a chair he gave him uh, with WWE logos all over it. Yes, I remember that. And what's funny is I'm sitting on the other one right now. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a great example of Aiden because here he was born one pound, eight ounces. You know, he's growing and growing now, uh, but still nowhere of the size of a WWE wrestler, but for many years held on to the hope that he could become one. I love that so much. (laughs) So through all of this, do you identify with being a caregiver to Aiden? Sure. And I think that comes with different emotions and at different stages where, you know, you have to advocate or, you know, you just have to be supportive and not get caught up in waiting for things to get better. And that's such a big piece, I think, when people see or they don't know how to see people who are going through certain struggles or challenges that may seem invisible. People are more comfortable, in my opinion, of, you know, you break a leg, you have an illness, and then things are better instead of this is going to be something that this person carries with them. And it's how do you support them, advocate for them and make them feel confident and loved 
instead of making that define them or not talk about it, right? Yeah, that's so huge and such a good point. I mean, I think the defining component is one that I've talked about a lot on the show and in my life of not wanting to be defined by my health. Mm -hmm. And that by starting this podcast and writing about my health and all of that, feeling like, wait, is this starting to make my definition of me be this sick person and not wanting that to be the case? So I think it's really an interesting point to bring up, especially as it relates to learning disabilities, which I'm sure tons of people can relate to. Do you feel like your role as a caregiver has shifted over the years as he's gotten older and been able to be a bit more self-aware and know what he needs for himself in some situations? I think that was something I was concerned about. You know, would it become harder as he got older? Um, We just had a meeting yesterday with his specialist from the Board of Ed talking about next year's placement. And he'll be upset I'm sharing it. But uh, one fact the school shared for his report was that his sense of maturity is well beyond his peers. And so that was such a great day for Chris and I. We were so proud thinking, look at all of this. Like we got so caught up in what will we have to do? And he's figured things out, you know, and he is his own person and he's becoming uh, more of a self-advocate, I think, for what he needs. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, his maturity level is very high. And that was very clear from meeting him last summer. Do you feel like you were able to pursue your career and focus on your career as you had planned while going through this period, you know, from Aiden's birth until now? Do you feel like that's had any impact? Yeah, you know, I consider that a really fortunate part of my life and something that I'll never forget, you know, going through struggles where, you know, as a worker, you want to keep things private and you don't go to work to grieve, you kind of just keep going. But the person who was our chief executive officer at the time had also uh, lost his daughter. And I had worked for him at WFAN years ago. And I remember, I'll never forget him reaching out to me. I think you know him, Joel Hollander. And he personally called me as the CEO when I was coming home from the hospital without Aiden after losing our daughter. And I'll never forget the words that he said and talking about how I could stay home or I could just, you know, get back to work and get through it and do that together with my husband. And that's what I did. Um, I came back to work within a week, I think a week or two weeks after having a C-section and Chris was able to be at the NICU during the day. And then I was there at night and we were together in the weekends and it became our first parenting. Like, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're both going to do it together equally. And I'm going to go to work during the day because hopefully Aiden will come home and I'll take maternity leave then. But I had great support from that level, which was unheard of. And I, I'll never forget the HR person telling me I couldn't take maternity leave because I decided not to take it at the time. And so I felt really very fortunate that there was somebody at the top of a major corporation who actually understood family and making it work when you know corporations never talked about those things back then. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's definitely becoming more of a topic these days. But Thank God for Joel, who's a very close family friend whose daughter passed away many years ago, and they run the SIDS Foundation, really raising awareness around sudden infant death syndrome, which is just a horrendous one. Um, So you mentioned school and really getting Aiden into a good school where he felt like he was in a good place. What was that like navigating the school system and finding the place that was right for him over these years? It wasn't easy. I didn't feel at the time there was a lot of information readily available. 
even for just babies coming out of the NICU. That's how I found the March of Dimes, which offered great support about what research has gone into helping children who were born premature. But it was like, what comes next in our area? So, you know, I started reading about how would we stay in the city and afford that and where would Aiden go to school? And so we decided to relocate to the Upper East Side, found a great preschool for Aiden, which was an inclusion program, which meant that there were typically developing children and children with special needs within the same classroom, and they would benefit from each other. And we thought that would be a great environment. And we also thought he'd be able to go to our zone public school at the time. And we were not aware that the principal of PS6 went and actually observed him in class before he graduated from preschool, thinking he'd just go on to PS6 and go to their kindergarten. And then we were called to a meeting and learned that's not how it works. And in fact, they were going to turn him down for placement and didn't find him ready to join the school. So that was a whole learning experience, not understanding that that could happen. And then you go into this lottery where they explained, you'll just hear from public schools who have openings where it might be better for Aiden. And it was a long, long, many months when we went to these schools, they were either overcrowded or really didn't have the right kind of classroom for him and found another school called the Ideal School at the time. And Aiden attended for three years. It's an amazing group of people founded by three families who each had a child who was born with Down syndrome, but really sought out having them continue to be with typically developing peers. And so they had this great model. And so Aiden loved that school, but then Based on what he needed at the time, he ended up moving over to a different school for second grade. And how did you navigate and find that information? I mean, like there's not manuals on how to place your child into school, especially with these challenges. So what was that like for you and for Chris in figuring out what these things that you needed to do in order to advocate for him? It was really hard. Because you go onto this journey of having to go to see all of these different schools, public and private, and you're trying to figure out, I've never heard of them before, but you're trying to figure out which school is right for your child. And that's when you have to take a really hard look and rely on people around you, um, educators or therapists and your doctors to say, you know, what are Aiden's needs or what can we see at this point? And it's hard to say that about a child who's four or five you know, what is it? And then we learned about neuropsychologists and Aiden every three years has a full exam with his neuropsychologist as to looking at what his needs are. And that was probably something I never knew about and Chris didn't know about, but it's been really helpful as a guide. And fortunately, Aiden found great schools. There are just very few of them in New York City. So it's very hard to find a placement. And so what about the school that he's in now? He's at an amazing school called the Churchill School and Center. I think you mentioned also when we were over at the barbecue that you have a friend who's a teacher there in the math department. Um, Yeah, I was just texting with her yesterday. Okay. And I think she works for uh, Dr. Nigabondi, who's turned out to be a real supporter for Aiden. And math was actually Aiden's most difficult subject. And he's doing really well in it now, thanks to Churchill. That's awesome. I know Mr. Nagabandi because he helped me with some college math that I couldn't get through. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, I remember sitting in his classroom with my friend being like, you guys got to help me with my homework. I need to pass this class. (laughs) Math was always so hard for me, too. And to hear Aiden now yesterday doing a distance learning, talking about trigonometry is amazing. Oh my God, it's so far into me. I want nothing to do with it. No, but what you said is right. It's finding those great champions for everyone, for children, for adults. It's 
so true. Aiden's doctor, I wanted to tell you a story of, you asked about that process. Dr. Giuliano ran the NICU at Lenox Hill and we happened to stay in touch, just sending like a thank you holiday card every year to him. And he went on to run the NICU at Hackensack Medical Center. And, you know, through our emails and cards, he learned that Aiden was really taking to acting and was going to be in some off-Broadway shows. And sure enough, after all these years, came with his wife, they were lovely and got to see him. And it was a tearful moment to see, you know, what was a helpless baby, so sick and so fragile now tap dancing on this great stage and really enjoying life. Oh, I love that so much. That's amazing. And so, yeah, tell us a little bit more about what it's been like navigating doctors. I mean, I think it's a huge topic that we talk about on this show of finding doctors who become your advocates and then many people who have had really challenging experiences of doctors not really giving the patient credit and acknowledging what it is that they're going through. So I wonder what your experience has been with that and finding doctors that are right for Aiden and your family. It's so hard. I mean, when it began, I probably like every other New Yorker, you get the issue of New York Magazine's best doctors in New York. And you're like, okay, if they're the best here, then that's going to be right for me. And first of all, it's not easy to get an appointment with anybody in New York. But you go through this process of trying to find doctors that aren't just clinical, but also see all those other areas to help you along the way. That's what worked for us. Um, I think just the clinician you'd call to just say, okay, here's where he is today with you know any symptom. Um, we really needed to find doctors who also were engaged in kind of the holistic view of when a baby is born premature, then how they move on in life and what is always best. And I was always good at listening. And Chris was even better at always forming great relationships and trusting. And so we were fortunate to find good people through good people, I would say. Do you feel like you and Chris were on the same page and navigating this together? Yeah, I think we're both on the same page about always leading with being very trusting. But you know, what's important to us is probably just what I had said before, like that kind of human being who cares beyond just the appointment. And that all brought us together. And, you know, we love their staffs and we're very close to quite a few of them still. Yeah, it's so important to have those. I mean, it's really so, so valuable. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from BetterHelp. That's Better H-E-L-P, an online counseling service that matches you with a licensed professional therapist. No matter where you are in the world, BetterHelp lets you schedule video and phone sessions with your therapist or even text them. Not only is it convenient, but it's also affordable. BetterHelp's therapists specialize in many different issues from depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, self-esteem, and more. I've talked with many guests about the importance of therapy, and it's something I believe everyone can benefit from. It's so valuable to be able to talk to someone with an informed outsider's perspective. With BetterHelp, you can have these conversations at your own pace, through a secure online platform, and with a counselor you love and who gets you. It's not self-help, it's BetterHelp. Made Visible listeners can get 10% off their first month of BetterHelp by visiting betterhelp.com backslash made visible. That's betterhelp.com slash made visible. And now back to the show. You mentioned the March of Dimes. Can you talk a little bit about what it is for those who don't know about it and at what point you decided to get involved? Sure. Um, the March of Dimes is a charity and they raise funds to provide research and other support for families and children who are born premature. 
Um, I didn't know much about it until I did research after giving birth and Aiden came home from the NICU um, and had actually reached out to our local chapter, which turned out to be their corporate office at the time, had a great conversation with someone who connected me with other people. And the next thing I knew, they were having a meeting together with us. And they had asked if I wanted to be on their executive committee for communications. So we got really involved and learned so much. And for us, it was really an anchor of trying to come back to what does this look like? You know, what research is being done and what do we have to keep our eyes open for in the future? I mentioned that illness RSV earlier, to which the March of Dimes played a big role in research. And Aiden ended up being hospitalized two more times for that virus when he caught it when he was older. And it's very dangerous when you see a child who is having real breathing difficulties. So that was one major important piece that we got from the March of Dimes. And then Aiden was asked to come to an event. We didn't really know what it was about. It was at Giant Stadium. And he had just turned five. So Chris and I went out there with Aiden. And next thing you know, they bring this young football player out. And my husband has been a Giant season ticket holder for many, many years. I am not as into football. But they brought out this football player who was tossing around a ball with kids. And his name was Eli Manning. And he had just won a Super Bowl. And so Aiden loved it. It was just funny seeing Aiden put on Eli Manning's helmet and like literally his entire body fell over because the helmet was so heavy. <laughs> and so Chris, of course, is like, oh my gosh, it's Eli Manning. And afterwards, the woman from the March of Dimes came over and she said, hey, Eli really took to Aiden. He thinks he's really fun. And we're looking for a child to be our ambassador child. Would you guys consider it? And I was like, what does that entail? Said so they, you know, they do events and they raise awareness. And so if Eli's out on like this promotional tour, going to some events, Aiden could be the child who's with him. And we're like, all right, we'll consider it. And Chris was like, Eli Manning, he turned out to be so nice. And they asked us to come back a week later to just shoot some pictures of Aiden in the stadium. And so this is a terrible day for all parents would understand. We get there, <laughs> Aiden is not having anything. And he is exhausted because for a five-year-old running through a stadium, I mean, he runs 10 paces and he's falling over. He's exhausted for the day. And so I had to catch a flight for work. And so Chris and I are together. He brought his dad. And it's just the the stadium's empty. Um, It was a non-practice day, they told us. And they're trying to get Aiden to just sit up and take a picture. And he has his head on the field. And I said, let me run to the car. I'll go back to the parking lot. We had a Star Wars book. And at the time he would do anything for the Star Wars book. So I run all the way back to the car from the field and I get the book and I look up and this guy's walking towards me and he says, hi. And I said, oh, hi. I think we met the other day. You were taking pictures with my child. We got to talking and it's Eli Manning. And I (laughs) I thought the stadium's close today. He said, no, I come here even when we don't have to practice. And he said, so what are you guys doing here? And I explained that they had to take pictures of Aiden as a follow-up. And he said, oh, no one asked him. I said, well, I don't know. Maybe they just need a picture of Aiden, but I really have to get back because my child's screaming and crying on the field. And he said, well, can I help? And I said, no, I feel like he's going to sit up for this Star Wars book. They could take the picture and that'll be it. And he said, no, 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 let me go with you. And at the time, as a parent, you're like, my child is having a tantrum. No one's going to like him. (laughs) No one's going to want to find him. And I said, no, I'm going to go with you. And I was like, listen, I know you're a big football star and my husband, like everybody adores you, but this is really not going to help. So he said, no, I'm going to go with you. And this guy wouldn't give up. And at the time, I don't even think he had his first child. He's just walking along, goes all the way out to the field. And he took the book and he said, Aiden, it's Eli. And Aiden's like, yeah. And he said, would you sit up? I brought you something. And Aiden said, what? And his face is still in the field. And he said, I've got the Star Wars book. And Aiden sat up. They took the picture. He smiled. 
And that was it. And then Eli said to the camera crew, hey, do you need me in the picture? And they said, no. (laughs) (laughs) But it turned out to be a great, great person. And, you know, I've worked in the media and seen a lot of talent, but Eli Manning has given himself up for free and has done all of these events, Aiden's 16 now, since Aiden's five years old from his heart and his whole family gets involved. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. They usually do March for Babies around this time of year. So it's the first year we're missing it due to the social distancing rules. And Aiden was part of some meetings that Eli was on and talking about how to raise funds while we don't have really a a typical walk. But the importance of it and seeing now how he's grown into a dad of uh, quite a big family and still gives his time is really kind. Oh, that's such a good story. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. The other thing I want to ask you before we end here is you obviously have played this amazing role as a caregiver to Aiden and been a great parent with Chris. How do you maintain strength in your own life and how do you focus on yourself and taking care of yourself? That's a good question. I have to think about that. I would say, you know, the strength I have comes from my family. You know, Aiden and our daughter, they are such fighters. It's amazing what each of them accomplished. Emma in her short time on on this earth and Aiden never gives up. And if I didn't have the support of my husband who's helped with all of these things, I wouldn't have this wonderful family and this charming life and a great career. But I recognize it so much more because during this time when everyone's complaining about being quarantined, you know, it's kind of nice for us because we actually really love being together and we are homebodies and it's just been a great time to make sure we're eating together every day and watching TV together and hanging out. And um, I'd be nothing without them. I'm so happy to hear that. I love that. Yeah, it's interesting to hear everyone's different way of navigating this time and some people really embracing the family moments as I am for sure. And it'll be interesting to see what happens when the world opens up again and how we navigate that and the new routines that we keep based on this time. So I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me about your experience with Aiden and navigating life as a caregiver. How can people learn more about you and connect with you? I guess you can connect with me on LinkedIn would probably be the easiest. Um, Jennifer Mock Donahue. And I'm always open to hearing from others and looking for new ways to do things. And I think that I got here and Chris got here and Aiden only because of the great people who supported us on every level. That's what it's about. It's always sharing with others so that you can hopefully ease somebody else's burden. I love that. Thank you so much, Jen. Sure. Thank you, Harper. Keep going. Thanks for tuning in to Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do any of this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com and follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram. Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor, Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer, Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music, and Amanda Grisillo for the design.